0: We are here to talk about legislative session. We have a bunch to talk about today, so let's get right into it.
1: Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and it's only made possible from generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you.
0: All right, Jeremy. Hey, well, I'm excited. Uh, This episode is big. We have a lot to talk about. I figure first off, you wrote an article about polling and property taxes, Uh, so I figure I'll let you explain the article. and Let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. So Defend Texas Liberty Pack, right? Uh, I, I recently, uh, I guess, new uh, PAC in the grand scheme of Texas politics released polling. They've done so a few times over the last year, but they released polling right at the end of November. Um, that ans- uh, asked kind of a myriad of questions, uh, but two that I wrote about specifically that are kind of relevant to the things we talk about. Um, and the ultimate takeaway from it was that, You know, they're polling right from, and it was, to be clear, it was Republican primary voters or would-be Republican primary voters in 2024, right? Um, but their polling seemed to indicate that um, those people want property tax relief prioritized above things like infrastructure spending and other things, right? And and the reason that's important, right, as, as uh, our viewers might know, is that we just also wrote about, what was it, last week or the week before, you had House Speaker Dade Phelan in front of um, um, f- uh, people he was speaking to in Houston essentially say that he, he wants to prioritize infrastructure spending when it comes to the projected budget surplus. Of course, that's something we talked about tons of times, right? Where We're projected via the state comptroller saying uh, at least a $27 billion surplus going into the next legislative session. Um, and he, what, he gave that estimation back in July. And so since that point... Uh, we've been talking about why not use all if, as much as humanly possible of that surplus because it's over collected tax dollars, right, to actually uh, put Texas on a path to eliminate the property tax altogether, but at least tackle the low hanging fruit, which is the uh, school maintenance and operation portion. Um, and, you know, this polling uh, seemed to <clears throat> seem to point to that. I'll just very briefly like the two questions that were asked, right, is the Texas comptroller is expecting that the Texas legislature will have a surplus of over 30 billion dollars. Do you think this surplus should be used to lower property taxes or maintenance and construction of new infrastructure, right? And of of the hundreds of people that responded to that, 29% of those people believed it should be used for infrastructure. 58%, a majority, believed that it should be used for property tax reduction. Moreover, the second question that was asked on this, right, is do you believe that Texas lawmakers should use state funds to give teachers a $10,000 raise or lower property taxes, and of those that responded, thir- similar results, 33% said they would like to see a $10,000 raise for teachers, but a majority, 55%, would support them using for property tax reduction. For me, that just tells me like there there's an obvious fervor from taxpayers in Texas that want the legislature to act this session.
0: Yeah, I think this is very very telling. Uh the fact that it, it gives us an objective metric of of specifically what, you know, your typically your more conservative voters, your Republican primary voters are 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 asking for and we as an organization and grassroots as a whole have been begging for this for over a year. And the funny thing is, you know, in campaign season when politicians are on their game, uh we have all of them In support of this, you know, uh, fervently supporting this. Yes, yes, we're going to use half of it. Uh, Abbott came out in the debate, as we remind people often. He said his goal was to eliminate school property taxes so people can own their home. Uh, Patrick made statements, right? And then the election happens. Abbott so far has been kind of quiet on it. Of course, one of the most concerning things that happened in the last week was Lieutenant Governor Patrick came out in a press conference and kind of gave a, a... kind of hint to what his priorities are going to be and when asked in the question and answer period what he thinks uh what what kind of property tax reform he thinks should happen he said you know you've said 5 billion before what do you think his answer was well i think that a homestead exemption up to 60 or 65 up from currently 40k so raising the homestead exemption and then 2.5 billion we assume he was talking per year uh is is fine which um, is very disappointing. Uh, I mean, granted, he's kind of sticking to his guns there, but the overwhelming majority of people have said they want the vast majority of the surplus to be used to pay down. Abbott has said half of that, which would equate to about 12 to 13 billion. And it, at least from our perspective, and I think the perspective of a lot of uh, Republican primary voters and conservative, even conservative independents in, in Texas is that we are seeing them kind of backstep now, right? And, and they're like, well, you know, we have a lot of other things that we could use this surplus for. Patrick came out and said things like, you know, we have a historic opportunity to really set Texas up for success. And, you know, in the in the same breath he's saying well we should offer incentives to natural gas companies not take subsidies away from uh, from you know uh, alternative energy but rather add subsidies to uh, to natural gas and essentially the big picture i got from it at least and i i, I wrote you know on on social media about this is, is he wants to grow government that's what he wants to do he wants to use this surplus to grow government, grow things like our infrastructure, and throw more money at the problem when, when every conservative concedes the fact that government is too big and it, it's we're already seeing concerning signs that the more conservative – the chamber, the Senate, uh, it doesn't really have the appetite, it seems, to use the vast majority of the surplus. And so it makes me worried about what we're actually going to get. Uh, but yet again, we will see. Things can change, especially with uh, pressure uh, from voters.
1: Well, if anything, it speaks – it's just additional confirmation, right? Like from a 30,000-foot level, we talked about this several times, you had Republican primary voters this last cycle, right, um, approve uh, a ballot proposition calling for the elimination of a property tax, right? You have it in their uh, their uh, party platform, right, where they call for the elimination of a property tax, right? And so if anything, compared to previous sessions, there's certainly um, – additional people. There's there's a fervor, a groundswell of support for this. Um, it's, to your point, disappointing to see uh, someone like the lieutenant governor kind of uh, seed ground, if you will, um, on something when the session hasn't even started yet. Um, I think they're all kind of hiding behind uh, the the idea or what they say, right, is that, we're, well, we're afraid of busting the cap, these constitutional spending caps, um, if you will. You know, look, if worse comes to worse, the legislature can override the spending cap, right? It just takes a, a two-thirds majority of, I think of both chambers to do so. But even then, I don't know that we should lead, right, with that being the narrative, um, especially when just a few months ago, that same person was talking about providing record relief uh, to taxpayers, especially if the replacement or your suggested replacement is to grow government instead. It's not what taxpayers want, especially in an environment where we're reeling from record high inflation. We're having to tighten our belts. Government should absolutely have to do the same.
0: Yeah, I uh, I I love the fact that you know anytime you know these lawmakers or or uh, statewide officials are talking about uh, cap and this and that, they they never seem to to you know play with the option of hey, you know what, we could reduce the size of government, we could cut spending, and then. We actually would not have to bust cap. We wouldn't have to just throw all this money at the problem. We could actually cut out corporate welfare programs, things like 313s that are 11 billion in total largest corporate welfare. There's a lot we can do from a, a size of government cutting government that if we're getting close to the cap, you know what? There's a lot of waste. That's an option, too. We don't just have to just go all the way up to the cap and just let everybody continue to grow. We actually could actually shut down government or or, or shrink the size of government and show some fiscal responsibility as well. Um, uh, But that being said, you know, I I wrote an article as well. Uh, And of course, uh, I I talked about property taxes. And and often, we are asked as an organization, I'm asked personally, um, you know, what what does a successful session look like? You know, we're always asked about the budget, um, you know, our opinions on the budget. We, we typically uh, are against the budget because it's bloated. Uh, and so a lot of times like, well, what would be a successful session for you? What would make y'all happy? And so I decided, hey, this is a good opportunity to tell everyone what would make us happy. And so all I'm going to do is just give the highlights. If you want to go read the article, uh, I encourage you to do so. Uh, but essentially here are the points that we would consider are a successful legislative session from TFR's perspective. Uh, the first would be uh, an, an important victory in property taxes would be putting us on a path to reform, specifically a path to m elimination. We, of course, in our Texas Prosperity Plan have wanted the complete elimination of property taxes. Uh, that is going to involve more than just school maintenance and operation. But for this legislative session, we understand uh, that you're not going to get the whole you know, kit and caboodle uh, the first go-round, but the low-hanging fruit is school and O. We have a historic opportunity with the, the surplus and showing fiscal restraint uh, to pass something like Oliverson's last bill. I believe we have clear and I think Shaheen and a few others that, that introduced uh, legislation that would take 90% of surpluses, paying down m, m- o compression until it's at zero, which is a path towards elimination. This was essentially move school maintenance and operation to general revenue, and it would erase it from your property tax bill. That is the first point. Next point is the budget. Uh, This is something that we have uh, wrote about in our Texas prosperity plan. Uh, When we ask uh, really any conservative Texans and and lawmakers that declare themselves to be conservatives, is the government too big? The answer is always yes. I've never got a no. And so the question is then why, if the government is too big, are we continuing to grow governments? Well, we should not. Uh, and so we're advocating for a freeze we don't believe we should take the whole 12.3 percent and go all the way to the cap and then just pat ourselves on the back and say hey i know inflation is record level and i know the government is too big but hey we did a great job we only grew the government more than 10 percent of this biennium that's insanity we would like to see them keep the 2022 and 2023 uh biennium uh in 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 perspective and and freeze the budget and at least at bare minimum keep government the same size we would like to see more we would like to see it reduced but hey we're being fair and saying hey why don't we just keep it at the same size for now and that would at least force us to you know deal with some of the bloat in our budget Another one is, again, part of our Texas Prosperity Plan. This is taxpayer-funded lobbying. This is something that passed with over 95% support the last time it was on a Republican primary ballot. Uh, this is an immoral practice. It is where they take tax dollars and they pay corporate lobbyists to go advocate against taxpayers. It had a path towards success. Uh, ultimately, Chris Patty killed his own bill last go round, kind of in spite. Uh, and we do have Mays Middleton, who I believe has filed legislation in the Senate uh, that mirrored what he did in the House last go around. And So we have a chance for this. We would like to see this uh, pass, uh, it is overwhelmingly supported by conservatives in Texas. Uh, uh, also, corporate welfare, specifically 313s, we've written extensively about the the fact that uh, 313s are set to expire this year. It is a good thing. The problem is we have the speaker. Uh, that has openly stated that he wants to bring this back in a different form and continue to pour uh, billions of dollars into sometimes woke corporations' pockets at the expense of taxpayers. Because if they're giving corporations breaks, ultimately, who is suffering? It's us as the taxpayers. It's our property taxes. They're giving them abatements, and ultimately, we are suffering. This needs to end. Uh, we we need to play defense here. We do not need to pass another horrific corporate boondoggle. Uh, We need to prevent this from being renewed uh, and keep that money in Texans' pocket. Uh, And then uh, finally, uh, we, we have kind of talked about this a little bit, but you wrote an article, I believe months back that talked about just what a sad, shape we are in with local debt. I mean, I want to say we're fifth or sixth. Maybe you can correct me. um, But it's bad. We're insolvent, essentially. And one of the main problems is there's not a whole lot of fiscal restraint on local governments. And so we would like to see pretty much the exact same spending cap we put on the state legislature, population plus uh, inflation, imposed on local governments to start to rein in their out-of-control spending. Uh, you know, we have we have schools that are, are building golf courses. We have cities that are just wasting millions of dollars and that's because they're unchecked. Uh, and, and we need to put them in check and we need to cap their spending so we can get our, our budget under control. And so those are our metrics that we will be gauging on uh, whether it is a successful session or not. I'm sure you got a lot to say, Jeremy, i hand it to you.
1: I, I think the only thing I would say here is obviously uh, being on board and excited uh, for the session to, to be able to deal with these issues, hopefully get a lot of taxpayers and activists right excited about these, uh, these, very, these very issues as well. If there's ever been an opportunity, it's this session, especially facing uh, the historic budget surplus, right? And again, it's worth saying a budget surplus represents an over-collection of your tax dollars, right? Um, so if there's ever been an opportunity to do a lot of these things, it's now. And so, hearing excuses from lawmakers already on why they can't do this or that right is it's it's just a non starter right i mean it's if they if they campaign as fiscal conservatives, every one of these policy issues absolutely is a policy issue that should be supported by fiscal conservatives um and if anything you know having the in the backdrop record inflation right? And individual taxpayers and Texans having to tighten their own belts, we should absolutely expect that government do the same. The the, the one thing on local government spending, um, you know, because you're right, it's not something that we talked about as much as the other um, issues. It's just two of us, you know, right, <laughs> talking about these issues. But, you know, local government spending, Texas is absolutely in the top you know, quintile of of, of states. It's kind of a sad state of affairs. So for the, the ninth largest economy in the world, we're we constantly boast, you know, a an economic climate that's advantageous to businesses and what have you. Well, that's great. But the reality is a lot of that is being financed on the back of future prosperity of Texans, right? And at some point that, that rooster has to come home to crow. And uh, we should absolutely be concerned about, you know, like if the same taxpayers are concerned about property taxes, but then go overwhelmingly support more debt every ballot, every time a ballot comes up, that's an education issue, um, one, and that's certainly part of our are uh, reason for existing. But two, there's a lot that the legislature can do to address that gap, right, between what voters see on the ballot and what actually happens uh, with government spending. And a lot, that they can do that this session um, and actually cap, it just makes sense, right? It, it cap, government shouldn't grow more than the population it serves, right, the same rate, and at the same time shouldn't grow uh, at more than the rate of inflation, i.e. the cost to do business, you know, and so anything above that is superfluous spending, uh, frankly. And look, if anything, we'd applaud any, right, applaud these governments to maybe potentially cut, right? As, as well. So, anyway, I mean, there's so much we could say on these things, but I think these are all good places to plant our flag. I think it's safe ground. Um, we absolutely shouldn't cede it going into the session.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I would say if, if I had to add, you know, an, an honorable mention, I, I would say we support school choice. I think that's important. there, we would love to see some progress there as well. Uh, but we just can't name every single thing, uh, in the article, or I would write, you know, an entire book of things that we need to get done. Uh, that said, I want to remind everybody that, you know, Uh, important policy like this is driven by uh, grassroots pressure. Uh, I think the perfect example is constitutional carry. Last go round, I think insiders understand that uh, Dan Patrick was not for constitutional carry. Uh, He has been open kind of in back rooms that he did not support it. And when it came over to the Senate, uh, my understanding is it was was kind of uh, the House's way of kind of putting an egg on his face uh, and he did not have the desire to pass it. But because uh, gun rights supporters and two A supporters blew up his phone for like a week. It forced his hand, and 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 we passed. And so this can happen. This kind of thing can happen with any policy, any of these we just named. But it takes pressure from grassroots to convince legislators or statewide office holders that if they don't do this, they're going to lose their job ultimately is what it comes down to. And of course, that is why we exist. Uh, we are here to, uh, provide transparency and to encourage y'all to, to advocate, uh, for these conservative policies. So, uh, that, that being said, we had an incredibly interesting interview with, uh, state representative Tony Tenderholt, who of course has thrown his hat in the ring, uh, for the speakership. There's been a lot of controversy around it. Uh, and he has been very, very vocal about, uh, the Democrat party chairs plank of the Republican party platform. We actually talked about every single plank, uh, I think it was about a 50 minute episode, which will of course air tomorrow morning. We encourage you to watch that whole thing. Uh, but for now, we're going to show you a clip, uh, uh, him talking about Democrat
2: chairs and then t- talk about it right after. Well, let me talk, uh, two different ways. One, I'm going to talk as a state rep and then I'll come full circle and we'll talk as a candidate for speaker of the house as a state rep. I supported that rule change last year or last session. Um, I think it's really simple. Some people here listening might be surprised that I have friends on the House floor that are very liberal Democrats. I like many of them. I don't like their policy and I am fully capable of being able to differentiate between the personal friendship I may or may not have with someone and the professional slash political differences that we have. My job is not as a state rep to go to Austin and try to be popular. My job is not to go down there and try to have as many friends as I can. My job is also not to go down and try to make as many people on one side or the other happy or mad. Members, we're talking members. My job is, however, to go represent 200, 205,000 people in my district and the party that I chose to put behind my name. And one of those was 80, what is it, 82% across the state, I think of primary voters, Proposition 6 last March, said that they do not want Democrat chairs. So our job is to go down and do that. It's a priority now, too. That doesn't mean that we dislike those human beings or those people. It means that why would we give people that disagree with our eight priorities, why would we give them power and control to water down or kill or ensure that our priorities don't pass. It just doesn't pass the common sense test.
1: Yeah, so of course, this is something that we've briefly touched on before, right? Which is the the idea that in a Republican-controlled legislature, right? Keep in mind, Republicans have controlled every statewide office, right? And the legislature had majority in in both chambers of the legislature for over two decades now, and you know, there's frustration within activists of that of the Republican Party that they believe that legislative priorities of their own party have not passed, right? It's this weird dynamic where. You have priorities, and you have the the legislative agenda of their party, and it keeps getting stifled by lawmakers who subscribe to that same party. It's this weird thing um, and Of course, in Texas, we also have the distinction where at least in recent decades or under recent speakers, right where the majority party has um, awarded chairmanships. I'm specifically talking about the House just because it's more impactful there, uh, but awarded chairmanships to the minority party and for those that watch the legislative process. Obviously being a chairman of a committee especially the more powerful committees comes with a lot of authority there right you are essentially dictating bills moving from the committee process to the overall floor for the overall membership uh to decide and and deliberate and so um you know that is one of the first ways within the legislative process that these priorities that these that republican activists um complain about not passing get get kind of mucked up right and and muddied there and so um that's what uh uh, representative tinder old who's a a tfr you know taxpayer champion by the way um who has thrown his himself uh, his hat in the ring for speaker um outside of the other things that he's running for that is one of the things he keeps bringing up is that uh uh, you know as speaker he would absolutely change that practice so
0: yeah you know i you know i I really enjoyed our interview with him i've I've known tony for man six years now, you know, he's one of the people that I looked up to. He's been incredibly consistent uh, and, and you'll be able to tell in the interview, there's a, there's a couple of times where he kind of gets emotional. Like he is one of the few people that is genuinely uh, after, not that all lawmakers aren't, aren't after something, but he, he genuinely believes in small government. Uh, he is very, very consistent. And so uh, like you said, you know, he's been a champion for us uh, every single session that he's been in, I think on the Democrat chair thing, Um, You know, I I think the frustration specifically from Republican voters is uh, has more to do with what's going on nationwide. I think not as many of them are plugged into what has happened in the legislature, the Texas legislature. I think they're paying more attention now. But I think that you just look at how toxic uh, the political environment and how uh, since Joe Biden took uh, over the administration in uh, 2021, uh, how bad. Uh, the, the persecution of, of Republicans really has been being canceled off platforms. Of course, we're starting to see the tide turn there with Elon Musk and all of this different stuff, but to kind of bring that home uh we we have this party this this party who has been accusing the other party the republican party of being insurrectionists, being racist uh openly criticizing them and calling them the most horrific names in the book uh in the in texas specifically we have the democrat party uh who of course we have joe moody who is uh, who was speaker pro tempore uh, and we have all these democrat chairs when they were called to vote on election integrity legislation they fled and left their responsibility in texas for months and went to go hang out in dc they infected everybody with covid uh and and just honestly made a mockery of the texas legislature and there was calls back then to to discipline them and to make them and of course it was kind of like oh yeah yeah hey we'll take care of this oh yeah and and lawmakers and people uh that are in the legislature know that that memories are very short for voters. And after getting past this last election cycle, there's been so much that has occurred. A lot of people just forget about all of that. And that's what they're banking on. And so here we are again, going into a legislative session with the Democrat chair now being a priority of the Republican platform. Uh, and yet again, people not understanding why this is such a big issue and why it's not a laydown issue. Uh, the, the 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 problems really come with how the Texas House specifically has worked, right? As you said, in previous speakers and, and the way that they have held power is by holding hand with Democrats. It's just, there's no there's no secret about that for anybody who's paying attention. They might be able to convince other people otherwise, but the reality is Strauss, Bonn, and Anfield all secured the Democrat caucus before even we passed the rule to go to the Republican caucus. So they know that they only need 10 to 15 Republicans uh, and it's game, set, match, right? And so for this reason um, and, and all the other reasons named, the 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 republican party has said enough uh, ultimately politics is the assimilation of power and i think that any any conservative would concede especially after seeing what progressives have done nationwide is if progressives or democrats were in the same position that we are in right now there is no chance 0% chance in my opinion that democrats would give us or republicans uh chairs, chairmanships, they would take the power and they would take the football and spike it on us. And the, the reality is um, Republicans don't, don't do the same thing. Right. And so I think that's the, the, the frustration from the Republican base. Of course, the vote has not happened yet. We expect to see a vote probably in the house rules. Uh, We can't tell the future, but we, we think we're going to have a vote. And so we'll see what, legislators uh, really think about this and they will be put on the record. And we'll see if this is an issue in the next uh, election cycle for voters.
1: A few things here to kind of cap it out. I I would say, you know, to bring the, the quorum busting that you alluded to earlier down back to a kind of a fiscal issue, you know, those lawmakers that escaped their duties and kept people there, you know, the Republicans that stayed, if you will, the lawmakers that were there day in, day out, doing nothing when they'd have to attempt to gavel in and not, got paid the entire time, right? And that's tax money that got spent for lawmakers to do absolutely nothing, have travel reimbursed, all of those things. So uh, starting from that point, of course, to your, your point, none of them got punished, right? The faux punishment was to uh, nix the Speaker pro tem position uh, for for Representative Moody, as you talked about earlier, but ultimately that doesn't do anything, right? And, and you're right, I think, unfortunately, voters had short memories on that. I think second to that, right, and and certainly I would encourage people to to watch the interview we had with Representative Tinderholt because he certainly talks about this, right, in his candidacy both for Speaker of the House but just as a member um, who has uh, kind of dealt with these proposed rule changes before, right, is the day one is when the Speaker vote, if it goes to a vote, right, would happen. So that that would be January 10th uh, when the 88th legislati- legislative session starts. And then day three, I believe it is, is when the House Rules Resolution will come up where you'll see undoubtedly whether it's Representative Slayton proposing this against someone will propose these rules amendments again attempting to kind of nix the idea of a minority party holding chairmanships um, in the house and it would be interesting to see if they've garnered Um, additional support from lawmakers this go around. There was only a handful last session uh, because this session, at least in their favor, you're right, it's a Republican priority, right? It's a priority of the majority party rather. Um, And then it's also, I think you had the executive committee of that majority party all come out in the majority and say, they support this, right? You've had a myriad of other lawmakers um, this time at least sign on or publicly, right? Let their sentiments be known on this issue. And so whether it passes or not, I do think you'll see an increase number of lawmakers in support of it the question is how big of an issue does this become um, if it does not pass for the remainder of the legislative session i i don't know so we'll see
0: yeah i would probably argue a lot of these uh these republicans do not want to take a vote on this uh because i think they do know it's it's going to be an issue for them and they're going to hear about it for the next year and a half if they do not vote for this rule so we'll see Uh, We'll see. It's going to be an interesting uh, legislative session. Uh, That is about all we have today. I do want to, once again, I want to encourage y'all to watch this bonus episode with Tony Tenderholt. It is a little bit longer, but he says so many amazing interesting things uh, that it's worth your time to watch it. And of course, next week uh, will actually be our last podcast of the year. And so we're going to talk about kind of the year, uh, maybe what TFR is looking to the future, things that we have done this year. Uh, And then we are going to take the last two weeks off and and hang with our family and not at least produce a podcast. podcast and we will see y'all in the new year. So I encourage you to tune in next week, next Thursday. We thank y'all for being with us. Y'all have a great day.
1: For even more content, follow us on social media at Texas Taxpayers on Facebook and Instagram at Texas underscore taxpayers on Twitter. Subscribe to the Fiscal Note, our weekly email jam-packed full of information important to Texas Taxpayers at texastaxpayers.com slash subscribe. And then make sure to check out our Texas Prosperity Plan, texastaxpayers.com slash TPP. Thanks.